You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Liz Willis was a distance runner in high school. When doctors were forced to amputate her leg below the knee in 2010, she pursued her passion for running and set her sights on becoming a U.S. Paralympian, transforming into a sprinter in the process. The 2016 Paralympic athlete is now a coach with Wichita Adaptive Sports and is busier than ever. Let's catch up with her. So Liz, it's so great to uh, be with you again, and, and uh, thanks for joining me today. I thought we would just jump right into conversation by uh, starting. How did you? Uh, how was it the Paralympics a, a a dream or inspiration of yours? Oh my goodness! Um, so competing back in 2016 in the Paralympics, it actually was used as um, an alternative method for rehab for me. A lot of people don't know that, but I struggled a lot with narcotic addiction, and so in order to run with the Paralympics, you have to run clean. And so um, I had only been an amputee for five years at that point, which is essentially completely unheard of to be going to Rio five years after you lose your leg. Um, so for me, it was just a huge motivation to keep going and keep overcoming um, some really hard demons that I was dealing with on the outside. And that was a way for me to focus my attention. And I actually found peace and purpose and meaning through running uh, that I hadn't really experienced as an amputee up until that point. And so for me, it just provided so much clarity and peace and a, a way to pay it forward for other people, which at the time I didn't necessarily see how how meaningful or how big that was going to be. But, um, you know, it, it's just one step at a time is trusting the process. And so for me, that was just the beginning of a major process that was about ready to, um, I guess, unfold. Yeah, and, and and I know that you uh, appreciate you being candid and open about obviously uh, the, the narcotics uh, challenge. I know a lot of people, um, uh, you know, have that issue, and some people talk about it, some people don't, and and um, and so uh, and and particularly obviously when you're recovering and and you need to use you know certain pain medications perhaps through part of that recovery. So uh, did, did that obviously it worked since you were able to make Team USA. <laughs> And uh, and uh, stay clean, if you will. But but how uh, how is that kind of the driving force behind uh, why you wanted to continue to run? Well, the Paralympics first off drug test you, so that you know forces you to kind of stay on the high and low. But for me, I knew I was a teacher beforehand, and I taught special education. So for me, it wasn't necessarily about. I don't know, going and achieving at the Paralympics. I knew that there was going to be a greater purpose. I knew I wasn't going to win first, second, or third place. For me, it was just a starting ground to say, man, there's a movement here. There's no one in Kansas that can help me or build me up. I wonder what I can do with my platform as a Paralympian to expand and grow a program here in Kansas. So that way, when there are future Paralympians, youth that want to be involved, I can promote that and I can encourage them and I can coach them along the way and teach them my lessons 
teach them how to train, teach them the the ins and outs. I mean, there's a lot of um, paperwork that you have to do. There's a lot of um, financial aspects that mm-hmm. go into being a Paralympian that people are just not aware of. And it can be very overwhelming to the point that a lot of people with disabilities just shut down because there are so many hurdles and obstacles to overcome that if you don't have someone in your back pocket to try to explain those things, um, you know, then why would I even try? Why would I even go about this process? And so it, it, for me, my internal motivation was to be able to externally give it to other people. So hopefully that helps clear that up. Yeah. So it's awesome that the Paralympics were kind of a means to a goal mm-hmm. and not, not the end, right? A lot of people use the Paralympics that they see that as a pinnacle of their career. And, and this is this is what I'm striving for. And maybe not necessarily fully think through or think past that. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's awesome to hear that it was a means uh, to a goal for you. Yeah. And and obviously you were a, you were a runner before your amputation, so I know that you uh, in in high school and 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 college and in college you know you you ran. So uh, I know you were a distance runner. Do you is is distance your preference? Well, you have a really good memory. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, uh, I ran actually cross country my freshman year in college, and was actually recruited to run track, and I was supposed to be running the eight hundred and the mile. But um, I had a boyfriend up in K-State at a different college. And so for me, I decided to make a transfer uh, mid-year. And so I actually ended my career just my freshman year after uh, cross-country season. But I've always enjoyed distance. For me, um, when you're running those longer miles, you can really just meditate on life, uh, your goals, your aspirations. What do you want to do? And I know a lot of people are going, I'm dying on a run. What are you thinking about? You're not meditating. I'm just trying to breathe and revive. (laughs) When you're a distance runner, um, you know, it it can be very, very therapeutic to just be out on the miles and just thinking and contemplating what's next in life. And uh, what are my goals today? Um, My small goals that will lead into bigger goals. And um, what are things and aspects I can work on in my personal life, my, you know, financial life, uh, of course, in the public eye and with the foundation. I mean, just on every aspect of life. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally would be on that other end of, of, of the spectrum of, you know, I just need to try to breathe and get through the day. I can't think of, you know, <laughs> positive things or other things. <laughs> That's my husband too. Don't worry. He takes pictures and he he's in bed usually, you know. He's like, get up. I'm home. He's still in bed. <laughs> That's right. I did that enough in the army. I'm done with that right now. Right, he's right. Perfect, he's so. a military guy too. So <laughs> there, there we go. See, we have think something in common like that. And and for those that may not know your your story, I know that I mean that the reason for your amputation was kind of kind of came about in a unique way. You mind sharing a little bit about, about that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as I kind of hinted at, I was um, a special ed teacher at the time. I was 24, pregnant, um, married, and, you know, we decided that we wanted to start a family just like any couple, or a lot of, not any couple, but, you know, as we wanted to. And so we conceived and had um, Calum, but at 32 weeks, I just started having complications. And so I've been sick my entire pregnancy. And, you know, the first trimester doctors are like, well, you just have really bad morning sickness and you're just not handling pregnancy well. And then we get into the second trimester and they're like, well, you know, maybe you just have a couple more issues going on, but just kind of stick with it. And since I was teaching, I wanted to save up all of my sick days for maternity leave so that way I could be paid as much as I could over maternity leave. So I fought through it. 
And um, you shouldn't do that. Whenever you have a medical issue and, and you know your body, advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. If I can say one thing, go to the doctor and keep advocating. Don't just push it off and believe what they say. They, they're not in your body every day. And so at 32 weeks, I had been so sick that I didn't return um, back to work after Thanksgiving. This was about four days after Thanksgiving. And uh, my legs all of a sudden just felt like they were on fire. Like I literally couldn't bear any weight on them. So I called my grandma. She's a nurse. And in which in Wichita, so she's here in town. I'm like, something's really wrong. I don't know what's going on. My legs hurt. Like I can't bear weight on them. And she goes, hang up with me. I'm going to call your husband to let him know what's going on. I'm driving to come pick you up. You need to call your OB um, right now. And I'm like, I'm not in labor and delivery. My legs hurt. Like, I know the difference. Um, this is not, this is not what's going on. But she, um, I do. Sure enough, I call my OB and they go, you need to go to labor and delivery right away. And I'm still going through my head. I'm 32 weeks and my legs are on fire. This is not a labor and delivery issue. Mm. And so at any rate, I get there. And sure enough, my um, blood pressure was just skyrocketing. My son's heart rate was down to 32 beats a minute, which is just, you know, one, two, one, two. And when you're a baby, it's supposed to be 130 to 150. So they said, you know, we have an emergency Um, by law. If they do an emergency C-section and they actually put you under anesthesia, um, they have to deliver within three minutes. So they said, we're going to put you to sleep, deliver your baby, and we'll wake you up. So I wake up. I said, you know, was Calum born? How's he doing? And uh, they said, yeah, yeah, Kalen was born. And um, this was my husband that was there at the time. And and uh, they go, he had some issues with his kidneys, but we have that, you know, under control now. He wasn't breathing on his own for several hours, but we have that under control. And I'm going several hours. How long was I under, you know, if, if this is several hours? And uh, then my husband goes, but you had some complications. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by complications? And he goes, well, you uh, you have Crohn's disease and they had to amputate your leg because you had DIC, which is where you're bleeding and clotting. And I, I sit down and I noticed at that point that my leg's gone. I had no idea. I was just coming out, you know, waking oh, up. Yeah. And I look down and sure enough, I'm missing a leg. And he goes, by the way, Caleb's three days old. And I'm like, holy smokes, what did happen? I'm three days had passed and I had no idea. But um. At that point, you know, you're just bringing in so much new information. You're overwhelmed. But people always ask, were you sad? And um, my pastor came in and talked to me next. And I apparently had my final rites during those three days. And uh, at that point, I realized how close I was Mm. to death. And uh, how close, I mean, to say I survived my final rites, there are not very many human beings on this planet that that can actually say that, you know? And so I'm just grateful to be here. And at that time, um, it took a couple months, but we ended up having donation after donation after donation pour in. And we had over $30,000 raised to pay every single medical bill. We had so many clothes for my son that we didn't even know what to do with. The food just kept coming into our home. And so you feel those blessings and the people just giving, giving and giving. The people you don't even know that, you know, are just coming in to support you. And um, it's moments like that where you go, I'm not here to live this life just for me. I'm here. And I want to do all I can to try to give it back to others. And so uh, just the gratitude and the overwhelming support that people can can make in your community and your difference just is it's life. You know, it's, it's life altering. And so it kind of makes me I, just have this question arise all the time. It's just like, what attributes 
do you hope to imprint on this world? And it's something that I ask myself every single day. What attributes am I imprinting on this world? What am I trying to do to make a difference in this world, to try to give back, to try to pay back? Because there's nothing I can do to pay back the grace that I've been given. That, that's very true. And I, and I definitely want to talk about, you know, the ways that you are giving back because you're doing, you know, some amazing things uh, in Wichita. And at, at that moment, um, you know, obviously, so you had to adapt to uh, not only, you know, a, an amputation, right? Um, and and kind of figure out that new normal, if you will, um, but also motherhood, which was new to you as well. How, how did you uh, handle that? you know, kind of two big life-changing activities kind of happening at the same time. I didn't. <laughs> I had I had help. And um, I mean, I guess I could say I did, but I did do it alone. You know, I had a lot of help. My mom and my sister, my sister's 14 years younger, so she was still in grade school at the time. Mm. And so um, my mom and my sister live in Virginia with my dad. My dad's a pastor. And so he had to stay back in Virginia. But my mom moved in for six months with my sister into our home here in Kansas. And uh, she took me to every doctor's appointment, helped me raise my son. You know, my husband had to go back to work. But uh, I was always one of those young gun home parents that said, my kid's going to cry it out in that room. You know, in the bedroom, I'm going to get my sleep. (laughs) That is the biggest lie you're ever going to tell yourself as a parent. You do not sleep as <laughs> a newborn. And so, um, so no, so we moved my son into, into our room, you know, and um, it was just starting to make small, small goals. I knew that the larger goal was, is I wanted to walk before he walked. Mm. And so, um, you know, I was like, I'm going to beat him to this. But first I had to really reevaluate right now. I can't, I can't even feed my son on my own. I can't even carry my son on my own. I can't, you know, these are basic skills that, I would have expected to be able to do that all of a sudden I couldn't do. And so I had to set small, very attainable tasks that became small goals to reach that overreaching goal. And that's what I started doing. What small goal am I going to do today? So that way I can reach my bigger goal of learning to walk by the time he walks. So, you know, we started off by moving a mini fridge into the bedroom. So that in a microwave, so that way I could warm up formula for him and feed him, you know, uh, we, we moved a little small bathtub in, into the bedroom. So I gave him his bath in our bedroom. You know, it's just small stuff like that that you have to learn how to adapt um, that you just don't think about until you become an amputee or until you're in a wheelchair or until you have to get involved in the disabled world. And so, um, you know, it's just changing that mindset of basic skills become really big, hard tasks at times. And so it's just breaking it down to what can I handle and what can I do today? Yeah. And and obviously being a runner and, and running being a big part of your life, when and how did that, mm-hmm. that first flicker come on that, you know, like, can I, can I run again or, or I want to run again? Well, actually um, six months down the road is when I got my first prosthesis. And so I had so much um, damage on my leg because DIC basically eats, uh, eats away your flesh. There's a lot of scar tissue. Um, and so it just took that long to go to wound care and heal up. So after six months, I meet with Scott Stablish Prosthetics, which I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they're in Oklahoma City. And uh, they said, hey, we got this track meet going on. They said, we don't expect you to go this year, you know, because this was the, that was by then it was about May when I was getting my first leg. I was just learning how to walk. They said, we want you to come the following year. You were a runner. And I said, well, can I get a running blade? They said, no, you got to learn how to walk first. I'm like, 
they don't just hand those things out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, you, get a running blade. you get a running blade. You get a running blade. Yeah. I just assumed that that came with the walking equipment, right? right. <laughs> it doesn't. It should. <laughs> oh, I agree. <laughs> uh, what you learn. Um, but they said, you know, there's this program called CAF and you can apply for a CAF grant in the fall. And then, you know, you get your running blade. And then once you get your running blade, we want you to come to the meet. And so at that meet, I ran the, um, the 5k and sure enough, I set the American record and, uh, they said, I think you're good at running. And I said, well, I guess I am. (laughs) So that was a year and a half down the road. And so at that point, that's when I realized, I said, well, I can run, but I got a problem. I can't run professionally because I'm still on narcotics. And so at that point, that's when I decided to enter a 12-step program and start really conquering those bigger battles. um, So that way I could join the Paralympics and run professionally and represent the United States. Yeah, and and obviously you mentioned that you know prior to your amputation you were a teacher. Uh, I know you you know after your amputation you went on and got your finished your master's degree. So how does how does education still fit into your your world? Never been women. Never been back. I got the degree. (laughs) I know. That's what I was getting to. It's like wait a minute, you got a master's degree in education now. (laughs) I did, and then I decided to be a mom for a while. But, uh, you know, no, it re- really, when you're that close to death, your your priorities just change a lot. And so we decided to take a financial budget cut and I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And then uh, after that, I was recruited to become a Paralympian. Well, you can't be a Paralympian and work full-time. It just, you know, your travel schedule's just insane. Yep. And so um, that that wasn't working out. So I became a part-time para, actually, and went back and um, became a paraprofessional part-time, worked in a middle school, loved middle school, didn't think I was ever going to enjoy middle schoolers. I would go back to middle school, really, anytime. I love them. <laughs> it's new every day. <laughs> uh-huh. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and and so what, what, what you are doing now, and at least one, one of the many things that you're doing now, is uh, helping out at, at the Wichita Adaptive, kind of... Yeah. Which is, of course, uh, for those that don't know, is a moving a member organization. But what um, what are you doing there, and how how do you see your impact? Because I know you've brought a lot uh, to that organization. Sure. So back in 2016, Wichita Adaptive Sports was actually called Wichita Wheelchair Sports. I don't right. know if you knew that or not. Nick yep. Taylor, uh, yeah, you know Nick. Okay, yeah, he's a tennis player. That's local here. Mm-hmm. And Grady Landrum, who I believe played uh, rugby way back when the program was starting. So those two guys were really kind of instrumental in starting Wichita Wheelchair Sports. So I learned about Wichita Wheelchair Sports. And then in 2017, when I came back, I kind of approached those two guys and I said, you know, I love Wichita Wheelchair Sports, but can we maybe look at revamping this program to add ambulatory, an ambulatory division as well? Because I would like to be able to coach and help. Mm-hmm. And at the time, they didn't have a track program either. And so I said, can we maybe rebrand and then add a track program? And so they actually agreed. And that's how Wichita Adaptive Sports came from Wichita Wheelchair Sports. So we renamed, rebranded, added the track program. And that's kind of how I got involved with Wichita Adaptive Sports. And so I do serve on the board and I do coach um, the track team. And that's been really, it's been, oh my goodness, it grows and it's so much fun. And the kids are great. And um, I, I love it. And it actually encouraged me that this past year, I'm back in actually going pre-med. So I've been in college, too, as a pre-med student because I want to understand their disabilities. So I hope to work with uh, pediatric orthopedics. So huh. I didn't know that. That's something new yep, that I just yep, learned from yep. you. So I'm a pre-med student right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, and, and if you remember, we had conversations 
you know, you and I early on, you know, a number of years ago, um, about about when when there was the wheelchair, uh, Wichita wheelchair sports, and yeah. and that whole transition. So, love seeing the expansion and the inclusion of more uh, athletes and individuals with disabilities. How's that? How's that program now? How would you describe it uh, now? I know you you you, you came out uh, with some athletes even to to our national competition last summer, and uh, so how's the program now? I would say it's actually thriving. We started um, actually a 5K race, which I don't know if you know about or not. It's called the Living Incredible 5K. And uh, that's another thing that, you know, just throw that in the spare time, right? But we do that over the summer, and that's our biggest fundraiser for the program. And so um, it includes a meddling division for wheelchair, a meddling division for ambulatory. um, And then we break it up, you know, youth division, adult division, just like you would expect in a para-athletic event. And then um, we have the open division. And so we have a, a fun walk and then we have a 5K that really has been kind of going on around here. And so it's really helped get the word out to local businesses and communities. Um, Shields, uh, I don't know if you got, if you have a Shields around you, but it's like a sporting goods store. Hmm. They're building one here in Wichita. And we're one of their first um, nonprofits that they're sponsoring this year. So that's really exciting. Um, so it's just exciting to see the community really kind of gather around us as well. And so our name, I just feel like, is thriving in this area. Um, we've already set aside our funds. They're already raised to go to GR Nationals again this year in Alabama. So we're set to go. Um, you know, so it's just trying to get everything in order. Right now it's basketball season, so I try to back off as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that it's good to serve on the board, but it's also really good to be able to take a break from coaching and let the other uh, board members and other coaches have their turn. And then that way you're really, you know, re-energized and ready to go during your sport. And so I've really enjoyed being able to share those responsibilities with Nick, with the, you know, tennis. And then um, Jenny Kreitzer, who's a wheelchair athlete around here, she helps coach with her husband, Leroy. And so, you know, the all sharing those responsibilities has been fun. It's been fun to watch us kind of grow and build as a community. And and is it an all volunteer group? Or is anybody in in the Wichita Adaptive Program? Do you have any staff or paid folks? We do not have anybody that's paid. Actually, we are a hundred percent volunteer. So every single dime that's given goes right back into the kids. The only thing that we take from the top are coaches. We do make sure that our coaches are paid for the travel to go to the events, and okay. we do feel like that that's pretty fair because they're coaching. And so you know we don't want to ask them to take money out of their pocket when they're already giving their time and energy and all that. But at the same time, we also try to share those funds evenly among the children. And then at the Living Incredible 5K, we always make sure to give away either a running blade or a racing chair to a child. Um, uh, Right now, the big thing for our older kids is I think it's really cool to get those carbon fiber wheels on their chairs. So (laughs) we've been (laughs) trying hard to to outfit, (laughs) I guess, you know, um, Grant Pierce got them. And now every kid on my team feels like that they need to have those because they they look pretty darn sweet. So. That's our, that's kind of our project right now. Yeah. And that's why, and that's why I asked that question is because I know a lot of our member organizations are a hundred percent volunteer driven. And I, th- I think that just sometimes it doesn't get said enough about the amazing, uh, that there's so many programs out there that are being run by, you know, people who, uh, you know, are, are full in and, and aren't, aren't compensated to do, you know, to, to do it. They, they do it because they, they love to do it. And you're, you're one of those. And as well as all the other board members and volunteers that, that are involved with your program and all the programs really across the country. So I think I was just, I just wanted to say that because that was important. <laughs> important. Oh, well, thank sure. you. <laughs> yeah. And, we actually have it in our bylaws. If you're a board member, you can't be paid. And so, you know, we just want to establish that um, just, an, you know, 
if you're invested, you're invested because you want to be there investing in the kids. You're not there to get a kid back or to be getting anything out of it. And so we just really, and I, as you said, we aren't the only organization like that. There are several organizations, especially in the community of disabled sports. I feel like that there are a lot of us that genuinely want to just be giving back and building our programs. Because if we don't, if we're not here on the groundwork doing it, then the word doesn't get out, you know, and, mm-hmm. and your Move United events would be pretty empty. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're very grateful for Move United. You all have been our biggest sponsor and our biggest supporter along the way and provide those opportunities for us to actually be training to go somewhere. And so, you know, um, it's it's really cool to watch how uh, partnerships work in a way. And I call that a partnership, but really you guys are like, the, the, the parents <laughs> of all of these little baby organizations. <laughs> well, you know, it, it is a partnership. Absolutely. And, and, and I couldn't agree more. And, and, and I think the, the, uh, the exciting thing that I wanted to just make sure I mentioned also is this upcoming summer is moving to nationals because we're expanding uh, the, adults, age, right? the age limit to include adults. So, you know, I don't know if there's a, uh, an opportunity for Liz Willis to get in there. <laughs> I'm, well, I actually am intending to register, but for what? I have no idea. <laughs> I'll be there. I just don't know what capacity. A in there, so. <laughs> right, that's true. That's true. Like, Liz will be there, but we don't know what capacity yet. So. <laughs> so. Exactly. I might try swimming, you know, it might be a Nemo or something. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's a great yeah. opportunity about these events is you can try a different sport. You can try new things. Yeah. And there's no uh, pressure that way. You know, it's just, I'm just here to try something new. So I've thought about it. I don't know. So, <laughs> well, I, and I know you're still running, right? And, and yes, uh, so exactly. you're competing or you're running in the Boston Marathon. Yes. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so hopefully I'm going to, you know, take home the title for the third time. So that's the goal. I'm really irritated at this point because you can't set a world record at the Boston Marathon um, because uh, I learned after I started running marathons that you have to run a complete loop in order to uh, set a world record. So Boston has a starting point and an ending point and a lot of hills about 17 mile 17 to mile 21 that you, you know, hope to survive, uh-huh. but um, they don't have a complete loop. So I've been looking at some other races, but right now, unfortunately, the problem is, is that there are no other major marathons that host an you know an ambulatory division yet and so boston's the only option and so i think this year the big push for me is to make some phone calls and try to encourage other ma- uh, other major marathons i'll start with the ones that make a complete loop <laughs> to add <laughs> <an> ambulatory division <laughs> so i I, I, did, I was not aware of that because i knew that several have uh you know have done a great job with adding the the wheelchair divisions okay. but I had no idea that Boston was the only one that had the ambulatory, huh? Yeah, so we got some work. We got some work to do. A lot of work. If you want to make the phone calls, <laughs> New York, I think. No, New York doesn't make a loop. Uh, Chicago does. Hopefully, uh, New York is uh, is will be will be adding one at some point in time. <laughs> and, Who knows? Maybe they'll hear this podcast. That's hey, New true. York. Hey, Chicago. <laughs> that's 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 right. That's how movements start, right? Right. Right. And so um, you said you've done it, obviously, a few other times. Um, uh, what do you do to train for it? Oh, my goodness. Run and run and <laughs> run more miles. Um, honestly, though, I have a coach. Her name's Nancy. She's run the Boston several times herself. 
And uh, I'm new. We're, we have a new partnership. I had a guy before that named Chris Burnett. Great guy. But Nancy runs my pace. So it's kind of nice to be able to have a pacer with me. And that's been fun. Um, but no, I just follow a plan. I have a coach. They tell me what to do and uh, I follow through. It's just kind of like how I coach my kids. You know, I have a plan and they I expect them to follow through. And so I'm out on the road at least five days a week. I cross train the, the sixth day. And um, I try to aim for basically I do um, how I like to have it is my lawn run is a third of my total mileage. So say my lawn run is 10 miles, then I need to have 20 additional base miles throughout the week to equal that total 30 miles. So that's kind of how I've been set up. Um, Today's track day. So I have to do repeat. I did repeats today. I actually like it. It kind of brings back some good memories of being on the track. So, (laughs) you know. (laughs) That's good. And then I'm in the gym at least three days a week as well, lifting, um, doing a lot of core work, stretching, um, chiropractor, you know, readjusting everything that you throw out in your distance running. So, but I will say marathon running is better on your joints than sprinting. So I've enjoyed that. Mm. I think that's just a good thing to throw out there for people. Yeah, exactly. If people don't, it's like, did you know, type of thing. Um, and you said you mentioned you've, you've, you've run it before. So when's the last time you, you ran it? Oh, last year. So okay. I, I, I've, this is, you know, I've been pretty consistent. So I ran it the first year they offered, the second year they offered, and then this is the third year. So I'm trying to keep my streak. I've decided I'll run until uh, I get, I have two goals. First, I need to get a world record. And secondly, someone needs to beat me, but it has to be in that order. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll hold you to the, hold you to the order. Right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I won't yeah. run a marathon again. So my husband goes, yeah, sure. <laughs> But that's okay. Is that that the only, you know, major event that you've got on the docket for this upcoming year? Uh, Well, there are some Move United major, uh, you know, nationals on the docket that I may Uh have. So um, I think I'm going to throw my hat for the 200 and uh, I'm going to run a 200 meter dash, which will be good because I'll be done with the marathon. And so I'm going to move into track season with my kids. So I figured it'd be a great time to try to get into back into shape to doing some sprints. Um, I'm not 100% sure which events will be actually offered at the Move United Nationals, but I'll definitely go down to the Endeavor Games to get, you know, my time, my qualifying time, and then um, and then go to Move United Nationals. And I'll run a couple halves here and there. And so I do have a few things planned. Um, I definitely have a fall marathon planned, but that can't be announced yet because I don't know which one for sure. So okay, all right. That's kind of, that's kind of what I've got in the works there. And then, of course, for me, it's it's working with the foundation. So whenever I'm not running marathons, whenever I'm not in med school, whenever I'm not parenting, I'm working on a Wichita Adaptive Sports. And that's my big thing, hosting your 5K and, uh, you know, doing doing all that stuff. So coaching, raising yeah. money for Wichita Adaptive Sports. And all of that definitely keeps you busy. Anything else you want to share, Liz, that we've not talked about? Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I think the main thing that I want to throw at people that, is really important is just to understand your purpose and the reasoning for it. So, you know, I feel like more people would be involved in, in adaptive sports if they didn't look at the big picture and get overwhelmed with the, Mm. the politics of it and the ins and outs and all that. You just keep it basic and go, why am I running? Why am I swimming? Why am I going out to do archery? And it's a mental release for, you know, for me, at least it's a mental aspect and it's a community and if you think about the community and the support that you get when you go to these events it's not just about competing it's the only opportunity that you have to meet other people like you and i i don't ever want that to be undervalued you know move united when you look at the sports aspect 
you have to realize that people that are quote unquote able-bodied or non-disabled, they have club sports that they can go to and compete against and they have all their school community and everything like that. But people with physical disabilities, really, you have Move United Athletics and the Paralympics if you're at that level and that's it. And so, the you know, when I look at my kids and I look at the events, the only events that they are attending throughout the entire year are the events that we're taking them to through Move United you know, through the basketball tournaments, through mm. track and field, through the swimming opportunities. And so I never want that to be undervalued. And I, I, I want people to understand how great this movement is for people. And, um, you know, one of the parents even approached me the other day, they said, sport, sport pictures. And they said, this is the only sport our kid does. Can you make sure that we get sporting yeah. pictures? Yeah. And, you know, something I didn't even think about. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely call in a photographer. We'll get your kids some, some pictures because they don't have any other clubs besides Move United. And so that's a big ordeal and something that just makes you really realize why am I out here doing this? And it's for the community and for the people and for the connections. So anyway, that was <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> that's not why. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, thanks, yeah. thanks, Liz. Yeah. Thank you.